So, Father, we thank you. Um, so many things to be grateful for this morning. Um, that, Lord, that if we began to really start thinking about what we are grateful for, we could be here for a while. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that because, Lord, you deserve all the gratitude. You deserve all the glory and the honor that you would do. Lord, um, we are grateful just to be here this morning. There are some that last night took their last breath and weren't able to be here this morning. There are some, Lord, that are on their backs wishing that they could be on their feet. There are some, Lord, in different situations and different circumstances. So we are glad to be the people of God this morning. We're glad to be in the house of God this morning. We're glad to be amongst our brothers and sisters this morning. We're glad to be found safe and secure in you. We're glad in this season for the greatest gift that you ever gave to mankind, which is your son, Jesus Christ. We're grateful for your Holy Spirit. Father, and we're grateful for how you never leave us nor forsake us, that you will always pursue us, that you always have our best interest at heart. So we thank you and we thank you, Lord, for this series that we've had the opportunity to go through. We thank you, Lord, um, and ask for your spirit to be with us as we wrap up this series today. So, Lord, we just ask that our hearts and minds would be open and that, Lord, that we would, in all things, seek what you are speaking to us individually and collectively as your body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, as I started to say that this is the last session in this series, and the series was called Relational Seeds, what are you planting? Relational seeds, what are you planting? And so, if you're interested in going through and listening to what the series was about, you can go to beyondthewedding.net. That's beyondthewedding.net and look for relational seeds, what are you planting? And there's eight sessions there. And um, while I have the chance, I want to thank all the people that um, walked through this series with Leona and I. And I want to thank the people, um, actually, that downloaded our podcast. It was actually one of the most downloaded podcasts that we've had in all the times that we've been putting podcasts up. So we're just humble and grateful to the Lord that people found something there that they could connect with. And... Um, there's a lot of teachings there. Ron and Jean and Ann and Dave and Leona and I, um, believe it or not, we're going on almost 12 years of doing this class. And so, um, although we didn't start the podcast 12 years ago, there's probably over 200 teachings in everything you want to know about relational care. So we would... Um, just advise you to go there uh, because there's a lot of good information, a lot of good content um, there. So we are grateful. So this last session is called, this is session eight and it's called Planting with Passion. So if we've been talking about over the past eight weeks, we've talked about how, um, and pastors brought this up, life and death is in the power of the tongue. 
And so without knowing it many times, we have planted death in our own lives. We've said things to us that have been lies. We've said things to us that have actually planted death. And we've planted death in others. We've had society plant death in us by saying that if you're this certain race or if you're a man or a woman or if you live in this area, you can't do this or you can't do that. And so we've had the seeds of death from the world planted in our own lives. And we talked about the things that get planted in our hearts and we begin to say to ourselves, we begin to believe. And out of our belief becomes our behaviors. And out of our behaviors come our outcomes. And so we talked about people in different situations and where they've been told that they didn't have any value and didn't have any worth. And many times, wherever you stand on whatever side you stand on, our prisons are full of people, and I'm not saying that they didn't do, they didn't commit whatever they committed. But many times when you go back through, you'll find that those people had death planted in them from the very beginning. I talked about a situation where I saw a neighbor one day next to my mother, and she had a five-year-old, and the five-year-old was playing in the street, and she called him to dinner, and he didn't come right away. And she began to plant death in him that actually made me weep. She called him all kind of names, told him he wasn't any good, he wouldn't amount to anything. So imagine what that young man is going to grow up to be. So he had the seeds of death planted in his life. And as he believed them, and as they grew, it dictated his behavior, and it dictated his outcome. And what we've talked about is that being people of the word, people of God, we've got a new nature. Not only do we have a new nature, but we have the word of God. We have the spirit of God. So we have the truth. We talked about last week, Jesus said, if you are my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The truth of God, the truth of his word overcomes any lies of the enemy, any lies of the world, any lies that you've told yourself. And so if you're going to be, as we talked about last week, God's ministers, where wherever he's planted you, you are a minister. You are God's minister in that place. You've got to first know the truth about the one that you serve. And then you've got to know about the truth of who you are. Because if you don't know the truth about who you are, you're going to believe a lie. And if you believe the lie, how can you turn around and give the truth to someone else when you are living a lie? So this week, we're talking about passion. And Webster defines passion as emotion, intense, driving, or overmastering feeling or conviction. Ardent affection, a strong liking or desire for or devotion to some activity, object, or concept. An object of desire or deep interest. So based on that definition, I would ask you this question. What are you passionate about? Is it your marriage? Your spouse? 
your kids, your career? Well, maybe you're not passionate about anything at all. So last week we talked about purpose. We talked about God has put every single one of us here for a purpose. Not to just exist, not to just kind of go through the motions, but for a purpose. And the thing about purpose is that you really need passion to drive purpose. Because if you don't have a passion, the mundane of the light of life will slow you down, will bog you down. So I think about this from my own life, that when I grew up, I was not passionate about anything. I grew up in an only, uh, as an only child and had no direction, no purpose, no passion. And looking back on my life now, you know, God is amazing because even before I ever knew anything about him, God was preparing me to accept him. And he did that through five men in my life, at strategic times in my life. The first one brought me into the world. The second one found me when I was homeless on the streets. Because home left me, I didn't leave home. But that's another story. The third one taught me the value of hard work and commitment. The fourth one taught me passion for God and passion for the things of God. The fifth one taught me unconditional love and acceptance. What I realized later on in my life was there was a passion in me, but I think like many of us, we get concerned about what people think about us. Or if we would really express the passion that we had, maybe people would look less on us. But passion drives everything. Passion will drive you to heights that you can only imagine. Because God did not create us for the mundane. Scripture says that we were created to have abundant life and to have that life to the full. And so if we're not living that life, we've got to ask ourselves a question, why aren't we living it? And Scripture is very clear. Everything you need to live the life that God wants you to live has already been given to you. And that verse is... Come on, you guys have known me long First enough. First Peter, uh, three, 1, 2, 3, 5. 2nd Peter 1, 2, 3, 5. 1, 3. And you, I told somebody one day that not a class goes by every single time you teach that verse. 
because every single time every single time yes oh wow come on guys but here's here's what does come up here's what does come up you live that verse so well that it just comes out thank you it's a good thing i meant it as a call oh i know i know i'm just i'm just ribbing you guys um and the reason why that verse is so important because it changed everything. It actually was one of those verses that helped to fuel the passion in my life because that verse says that God has given you through his divine power everything you need for life and godliness. So in that verse, there's nothing that you are not missing. So that means that what is it in me that is keeping me from seeing that in my life. Can I just add one thing to that? Mm-hmm. You tend to gloss over the last part. It's life and godliness, mm-hmm. not the life that we desire. Exactly. And there's a big difference between the two. Because life and life abundantly doesn't mean the mansion and the Maserati. It might, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the kingdom. Life yeah. and godliness right. and whatever he has called it. Right. And that's why from last week's teaching, it's very critical that you find purpose because purpose will actually help you to find passion. And every one of you in this class has a purpose. I don't care where you are in your life. I don't care what's going on. I use my mother-in-law, for example, in terms of passion and per- and purpose. My mother-in-law is 80 years old and she's been retired for a long time now. And so the one thing that my mother-in-law does really well is that my mother-in-law sews. And so my mother-in-law has taken her passion and her purpose, which is sewing, and she's taken that and she sews for children in ministries all over the world. She also has a passion for prayer. So when somebody needs prayer, she's there. So she's 80 years old. She has a passion. She has a purpose and she's fulfilling that. The other thing, passion, I want to talk about before I go, because I have some scriptures. I want to take you through some passages in scripture to talk about passion. Because one thing about passion is when you're passionate about something, somebody ought to be able to know that you're passionate about it. Somebody ought to be able to know that you're passionate about it. So many of you have seen or heard of the passion of the Christ. One of the definitions of the passion when passion is capitalized actually means suffering. So the passion of the Christ actually meant the suffering of the Christ. But the passion of the Christ was actually much more than suffering. Because I submit to you that God, Jesus, in the flesh had a passion 
to come to earth to do the will of his father and not only the will of his father but his will for you he was that passionate about you because he created you because he wanted relationship with you he was that passionate about you that he came and put on human flesh to go through everything that you went through so that he could have connection with you. Hebrews talks about how he's our high priest because he has lived the life we've lived. You know, the interesting thing about it is if you had a situation in your life, let's say you had a loved one pass, who is more equipped to walk with you intimately than one that had a loved one pass? They're more intimately connected with you because they know your pain. They know how you feel. They, they know what you're going through. That's very important because since Christ has lived our life, he knows exactly what you're going through. There's nothing that any of you are going through that Christ has not experienced. And that makes him able to walk alongside you in any situation or circumstance. He has a passion for you. So I'm going to transition. I want to read this uh, scripture. And if you want to follow along with me, it's actually in Luke, the 19th chapter. And it goes from, I'm going to start at 29 to actually 39. So what I love about this is talking about passion. And what you'll notice is how passionate these people were for Christ. And it's interesting, um, I've had the, uh, the privilege of growing up in uh, Nigeria and um, seeing the world from different perspectives. And I had this conversation, this was a, a long time ago with Pastor, but, it's, but there's, when you see people, you know, Scripture says those have been, that have loved much, those that have been forgiven much, love much. And so it was interesting, last time I was in Nigeria, um, we went to my sister-in-law's church. So you think you may have gone to church, but you are not going to church like these people go to church. We're talking about like four-hour worship service before we even get to the Word. And in America, we'd be leaving. Because it'd be like, if that, if that worship service is not over in 20 minutes, I got someplace to go. But these people are passionate for God. I'm talking passionate. And they will walk 10 miles to go to church. So I'm not saying that to condemn anybody. I'm not saying to, that to judge anybody. But what I'm saying is... Passion should be evident when we think about what God has done for us. There should passion should be evident. Okay, so let me read this account. So I'll just give you a little background, and then uh, I'll get right into it. 
So this account is really Jesus on his way to um, Jerusalem. So the focus really of the scripture is Jesus. But what I want you to focus on is I want you to focus on the reaction of not only his followers, but those that were following him. So I'm going to start in Luke 19, 29. And it says, as he approached, as he approached Bethpage and Bethany, at the hill he called the Mount of Olives, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say the Lord has need of it. Those who were sent ahead of him uh, went, uh, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And then they untied the coat and his owner said, why are you untying that coat? They said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to began joyfully to praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed be the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of his disciples in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So the old church we, uh, we used to go to, we should have this song. And it used to go, I ain't going to let no rock outpraise me. I ain't going to let no rock outpraise me. And so what was interesting about this, and I'm going to read to you a, um, a commentary on that. But can you imagine, I want you to imagine the scene that's happening here, right? These people are excited. They are passionate. I mean, these people are yelling. So I'm thinking, I'm just imagining that the Pharisees are looking around and they're going, what in the world is going on here? Because I'm sure in a lot of their other services, people weren't getting that excited. But it was almost like, this is, this is like chaos. This is like, anarchy. what in the world is going on? Jesus, tell these people to be quiet. Tell them to calm down. Because we don't need, it doesn't take all that. It doesn't take all that. You know, I used to be one of those people. I would sit and I would, and I would see somebody in worship or in praise. I would see their hands raised up. And I would see them crying. I would say, you know what? It don't take all that. It doesn't take all that to serve Jesus. Now, for some of us, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Again, I'm not here to judge you. Because only God and you know whether you're passionate or not. 
because it doesn't have to be a spectacle. You don't have to be doing that, you know, to show anybody. But again, this is about passion. And if we're passionate, it's going to come, it's got to come out somewhere. It's really hard for somebody to be like this and be, you know, I ask you, oh, are you passionate about your wife? Yeah, I'm, I'm passionate about her. I'm passionate about my kids too. Yeah, my job. I'm really passionate about that. Yeah, I was at a football game last Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm passionate about that. Yeah, that, that now that's interesting. Because <laughs> I can talk about that. Because I can see the same people that'd be losing their mind at that game. Yeah. And then I see them in the in the sanctuary, you know, like this. But what was interesting about these people is they remembered all the things that God had done for them. And they were yelling and they were worshiping out of remembering what God had done for them. And I think one of the biggest issues that happened to us is many times when we get saved, there is a passion. There is a zeal. Let me tell you about Jesus. Boy, I'm just so happy today. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm like, you know, I've got a new life. I'm like, and after a while, and that's normal. Don't get me wrong. Okay? That's normal. After a while, it's like the shiny new car, right? Oh, man, you love it. You're outside. You're waxing it like five times a day, and it's all great. And then the monthly payments start coming. <laughs> and then you get your first scratch. It's like, you don't want to drive it during the day because you don't want to get any water on it. <laughs> Six months later, it's all muddy, got stuff all over it. What happened? What happened to your passion, your zeal? You loved that car. You were just, you, could, you were head over heels with that car. You didn't want anybody sitting in that car. Now, eh, I don't care. Reality is our walk with Jesus can get the same way. After a while, yeah, you know, Jesus, yeah, he's all I need. You don't seem too excited about it. Yeah, well, I've been walking with Jesus for a while. They don't take all that. They don't take all that. But if we are going to be the people that God have called us to be, it does take all that. It takes all that. And the way it takes all that is to remember. Remember where you were. Remember what he did for you. Remember when you wanted, you didn't want anything to do with him. And he pursued you and pursued you. And in the middle of the night when you needed him, he was there. In the middle of the noonday, he was there. And he walked with you. Remember. You know, in Revelation 2, Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus. And he says, you know, he says that I'm not going to read the whole thing. And he says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and not and found them false. You have persevered and endured hardship for my name yet have not grown weary. 
Yet I have this one thing against you. You have forsaken your love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do what you did at first. Do you remember what you did at first? Remember that passion. Because here's the thing. You have every reason in the world to be passionate. You are eternal beings. You have all eternity in front of you. Your life is like the, the Bible said, your, your life is like a, a vapor, a mist that appears for a while and then disappears. But for you, you're going to pass from one stage to another. This is, this is just going to go like that. And you have all eternity to spend with your brothers and sisters looking into the face of God where he has said, I have not seen, I has not seen, ears not heard. Uh, well, come on, Joe. Uh, eyes not seen, ears not heard, neither has it entered into the mind of man what God has created for those who love him. You can't even imagine on your wildest day and you get, you get to experience that for eternity. Now, if you can't get excited about that, there's not a whole lot more you can get excited about. But we have to remember. We have to keep our minds on those things and keep our minds on what our purpose is and keep our minds on what the objective is. And the objective is there are many out there that will like you, that need you. Especially those in your household. Right. Your sphere of influence includes everybody that Gene talks about. And you weren't put there by accident. Because God does not do accident and he doesn't do coincidence. So we have to change where our mindset is because unfortunately what happens is we get into the mundane and we get into the mundane of life and we see what's going on in the world and we see what's going on with everybody else and we see what's happening here and we start looking at what we don't have. Why do we always look at what we don't have and we don't ever concentrate on what we do have? Because if you concentrate on what you do have, how can Paul write? We complain about our prisons, our prisons, <laughs> I don't even talk about that. Paul was probably sitting in feces this high, rats that look as big as dogs, mold growing down the wall, and this guy said, our light and momentary trials, I don't even think they're even worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. Right? But something happens to us. Oh man, we're upset, and then we're all, you know, and we're just wow. Life is just horrible. We need to change our perspective, because when we change our perspective, then we're able to see our purpose. And when we see our purpose, we can get a passion. And when we get a passion, it changes things. 
So I'm going to read you this commentary. And this commentary is by David Gutzik. And so, so I'm going to read just parts of it. So he says, we like this slice of life from Jesus because it simply feels so right. For much of Jesus's ministry, he was despised and rejected of men. Many of the adoring crowds following him cared only what they could get from him. Now, does that sound familiar? Funny how a lot of things haven't changed in 2,000 years, huh? In our so-called enlightened state. Many followed him because of what they could get from him. And it's funny because we got mainstream church talking about Jesus got a whole lot for you. Well, what do you got for Jesus? Because last I checked, you were supposed to be his servant. Last I checked, we were supposed to have given him our life. But now we treat Jesus like a cosmic slot machine, right? Or tit for tat. Well, you know what, Jesus, I'll do all this and I'll do all this here, but I'm sure hoping you're gonna give me that, uh, that new Benz next year. Because I really need that. I really need that Benz. One of these days, Jesus is gonna go, no, you need a Volkswagen. And that's exactly what you're gonna get. <laughs> hey, thank you and you're going to be happy in that Kia because there are going to be a lot of people walking five miles while you're driving that old beat up Kia and you're going to be really happy in it anyway that's a teaching for another day So I'll continue on. But on this day, Jesus was going to be praised. For most of his ministry, Jesus did everything he could to discourage people from publicly celebrating him as Messiah. But here, Jesus goes out of his way to invite public praise and adoration as Messiah. In fact, when the religious leaders of his day object, he tells them, I tell you that if these here should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. The idea of creation itself praising God may seem strange, but the Bible speaks at it in a few places, trees, hills, oceans, rivers, mountains, valleys, cattle, creeping things, birds, and fields all give praise to God. 
And if you want to study that for yourself, Psalm 148, verses 7 to 13, and Psalm 96, verses 11 to 12. Why did Jesus want to receive such praise? It was not for his sake. It wasn't that Jesus had a self-esteem problem and needed, to, and needed affirmation. Jesus wants to be praised because we need to praise him. God will get his praise and he invites us to be part of it. I hope you caught that. We need to praise him. Like he said, God doesn't have a self-esteem problem. And God is going to get his praise. He's going to get his praise with or without us. You know, but again, when we realize who he is, what he has done for us, right? I'm going to get my praise in there. Definitely, I'm going to get my praise in there. So now, the people, they praised Jesus with whatever they had, using simple things like palm branches. Jesus does not need great things to give him honor. You may feel like you don't have a great voice or heart or life, but give it to him and praise him with it. So what I love about that is, it's great to have a great voice. It's great to have a great heart. It's great to have things that you feel like you can give to God. But all God really, all God wants is you. All God wants is you. Whatever you got, what, however you think is not worth any, is worth great value. Great value to God. You know why? Because you're giving it out of your heart. That's what God is looking for. So whatever you have, give it to him in praise. They were all praising God. The whole multitude, disciples began to rejoice. And yet I suppose those disciples had trials like we have our own trials. Some may have had a sick wife at home or a child withering with disease. Yet they all praised him. My question to you is, does everything have to be nice and neat and tidy and everything have to be looking really good for you to praise him? Does everything have to be going your way? Does everything, as we say, the stars got to line up? And then I'll feel like praising God. My bank account's full. Got my car paid off. My house is almost half paid off. My retirement's all set. Do I need all that to start praising God? Many spread their, ro their clothes on the road. They honored him with their garments. This meant a lot in that time when most people had only one set of clothes to lay aside part of their small wardrobe to let a man riding a donkey 
to ride over them was really laying down something. Think of that. You have like one set of clothes and you laying your set of clothes and you know when that donkey went over it, those set of clothes don't look the same as when you laid them down. Right? Matter of fact, huh? And you couldn't throw them in a whirlpool, right? And so those clothes, that, those clothes might be shot, especially if that donkey parked, if you know what I mean. So we won't uh, expound on that anymore, but, right? Again, everything, passion. They lifted their voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Their praise was filled with remembrance. They remembered the mighty works they saw Jesus do in raising Lazarus from the dead. And they told of the great things God had done in their life. A great indictment against much of our praise is that it is mindless. We do not have anything specific in our minds when we are praising God for things that we have seen him do in our lives. Think of loving words between a husband and wife. We always long to hear that our spouse loves us, but sometimes we might ask why. Because we want to know if they're just saying the words or if they're really thinking about thinking of how much they love us. Anyone who says praise the Lord should be able to answer one question. What are you praising him for? And they should have a good answer. The Pharisees, teacher, rebuke your disciples, your disciples. Their praise made Jesus' enemies uncomfortable. It, may, it made them uh, object to the praise being offered. There is something about the true worship of God that often makes people feel uncomfortable, especially people who are not Christians yet. Often a newcomer who wants Jesus will think worship is just a little bit strange, but someone who is hostile might be absolutely offended by the worship. This made the Pharisees know that they were being defeated. Pharisees therefore said amongst themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Nothing tells Satan and his followers you've lost like the praise of God ringing in their ears. Satan has lost because God, when God's people are really worshiping, their hearts and minds are on him. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. I'm going to wrap this up by giving you five reasons. Five reasons to be passionate, not only about your life, but passionate about God, where God has put you, and the opportunities that are available to you.
Because, you know, what I would pray in this whole thing is I would pray that God would open your eyes. Because I guarantee you that, as Gene said, whether it's your family, your friends, your neighbor across the street, your coworkers, your employees, maybe people you haven't even met yet. It might be somebody you bump into in the grocery store tomorrow. It might be an elderly gentleman walking down the street in your neighborhood. But what I'm praying is that your eyes would be open. Because I know this about God, where he's planted you, he wants you to be effective. And he wants you to be a planter. He wants you to be a planter of good seed. He wants you to be a planter of the truth. Because guess what? That's what he's doing in your heart. That's what he's trying to do anyway. He's trying to plant the truth here, right? Because when the truth is planted here, and I believe the truth, not what I know, what I believe. Not what I know, what I believe. Because my behavior comes out of my belief, not out of what I know. And that's a whole nother teaching. Boy, I'm throwing all those out there today, aren't I? All right, five reasons for being passionate. First one. Reason to be passionate is that God is passionate about you. The cross is a perfect example of how passionate God is about you. God's willingness to give up his position in heaven, come down here and experience what it is like to be us, is all you need to know what his passion is. If you didn't have any other teaching about Jesus and you saw the cross and you really understood what was happening there at the cross, you wouldn't, you wouldn't need any other reason to be passionate. I mean, that's the truth. And God's given you way more than that, but just the cross. Just the cross, right? His blood shed for you. Number two, second reason, because passion is infectious. Passionate people help make those around them passionate. People love to be around passionate people. It's uplifting and lifts their spirits. So I talked about a gentleman, um, was that last week or two weeks ago? The gentleman that was in town that charged uh, $15,000 for a three-day session. I think that was last week. Was that last week? Yeah. So. I just heard it. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Fifteen thousand dollars. You paying fifteen thousand dollars, and and he guarantees when you come out of his session, your feet won't even be touching the ground. Cause you are gonna be passionate. <laughs> lighter, yeah. <laughs> In a few ways, you're going to be lighter <laughs> on your feet and your pocketbook. But uh, yeah, and really what he's doing is he's giving people a passion to live. He's giving people a passion and a drive 
and a purpose. And what's interesting is you hear these people coming out and they're saying, that's what they're saying. They're like, I needed something in my life. I was stagnant. I wasn't going anywhere. It seemed like I didn't have any purpose. I didn't have any drive. And when I came out, everything had changed. Now I have drive. I have purpose. I have passion. I know what I'm going to, and these people, I mean, they're excited. Now, the other thing that I'm going to be excited about is when you join his class, his class is going to run you by another 10 grand. Whoa. That's right. Yeah, and I've walked a while, and it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like, yeah. Our first love. Exactly. <laughs> and you got to remember, you got to remember, in those times when it becomes mundane, you got to remember. You got to remember. Third reason to be passionate is you get to co-labor with the God of the universe. Right. Now, now, I got goosebumps just saying that. So I watched a Smithsonian um, documentary yesterday. I get to watch all that stuff when my wife's not home. It's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Praise the Lord is better than the stuff I used to watch, Lord. Thank you. So anyway, I'm watching this. And so scientists are just talking about just the expanse of space and quasars and, and stars and black holes. And I'm sitting there and I'm going. And when you read the first chapter of Romans, right, Paul says that the proof that God exists has been clearly shown so that people are without excuse. So what Paul's saying is all you got to do is look up. All you got to do is look up. Because you got scientists with like 42 PhDs behind their name, and they still can't tell you how all this got here. Now, they will tell you there was a big bang, and I'm still waiting for the scientists to tell me, that's great. How does nothing, how does something get created out of nothing? Thank you. That's the one question that science, and they'll tell you, we don't know. But all the matter in the universe, you're trying to tell me there's one explosion. Okay, got it, great, perfect. You still haven't told me how you create something out of nothing. What caused the Big Bang? We can't tell you that. Because maybe it didn't happen. Yeah. So. I'll give you a little bit of a homework assignment because there's a movement going on and I know a lot of you, some of you know about it, right? And it's called intelligent design, okay? It will not be broadcast on your local news. It will not show up in your papers. It will not be talked about because it goes completely against the world system. Some of the greatest scientists now are starting to acknowledge 
Now, they're not talking about religion. They're not talking about God. They're not talking. They're looking at the facts and they're letting the facts lead them to the conclusion. The conclusion they're coming to is all this is not random selection. There had to be some kind of intelligent design behind it. So there's a couple of books, and you're going to have to dig really hard, but a couple of these are secular scientists that says there's no way that Darwin's theory of evolution could happen. Based on genetics, based on random mutation, it is impossible for Darwin's theory of, of evolution to exist. You will not hear that. You will never hear that as long as this world is spinning. So do your homework. I know you all know Google. Start Googling. Start Googling intelligent design. What I found really interesting was when they were mapping the human genome, almost every night on the news, it was almost like front page. They were talking about how close they were getting to mapping the complete human genome. When they finished mapping the entire human genome, it disappeared from the news entirely. How many of you have heard of whatever happened with the human genome? You know why? Because it points to intelligent design. There's a lot. There is a lot of science, but you will not, you're going to have to go dig for it. Because it does not fit the new world order. It does not fit the world system. It does not fit what the world wants to indoctrinate you with. So you're not going to find it. If you're going to find it, it's out there. Fourth reason. Your planting with passion gives God an opportunity to change legacies and destinies. Showing your passion for life and people and God brings hope and fuels desire in yourself and others. Could you say that again? For us note takers. Okay. For the note takers. Okay. You're planting with passion gives God an opportunity to change legacies and destinies. God has put within you the ability to change legacies and destinies. The question is, is that something that you want to do? Is that something that you're passionate about? Is that something that you're willing to sacrifice for? See, because one of the things about serving God is it's not convenient. It doesn't fit in your little schedule. It doesn't fit in your Google Calendar. It just doesn't. It's going to cost you something. Right? 
Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, count the cost. Gene, can you find that scripture for me? Which is interesting because, let me be careful here. I'm getting ready to tread on some toes. We're very quick in the universal church to talk about the free gift of salvation, mm -hmm. which it is. Don't get me wrong. But we don't talk about being his disciple will cost you everything. Mm-hmm. Wanna read it? Yeah, that's fine. Because there's a reason why that a lot of people that come to Christ don't make it to the end. There's a statistic that says, I think, and don't get me wrong, I don't want to quote it, um, and be, but at least half, I know it's more than half, but at least half of those that have claimed Christ have walked away. And I think they walk away when they realize that being a disciple is going to cost you. It's going to cost you. It's just like your marriage. It's going to cost you. Okay, it's not Alice in Wonderland where you marry the prince on the white horse and you ride off into the sunset and everything's great. It's not Hallmark Channel where they kiss at the end and then they just lead you to believe that they're just going to ride off into the sunset and everything's going to be beautiful and they're going to have a wonderful life. <laughs> well, that may be true, but guess what? It's going to cost them to have that wonderful life. Yeah. It's going to cost you. But here's the thing. Jesus went to the cross for you. What are you, what are you saving it for? <laughs> That's what, what are you saving it for? Well, what, what are you saving it for? And, and I don't, and I'm not now talking about, you know, just like losing your mind. But what I'm talking about is living with passion, living with purpose, living with intentionality. It's going to cost you. Gene, you gonna say something? People go get saved by our church. And we don't recognize that he is more than our savior, he's also our Lord. And for that same thing, many people, even you know, Pastor Jason 
message today. They look for the wedding, but they forget about the marriage. Mm -hmm. And when we take the full benefit of not only salvation, but as Christ is our Lord, mm -hmm. the blessings far outweigh the fire insurance. Yep. Mm -hmm. When we look at not just the wedding, but what a true marriage is supposed to fulfill, mm -hmm. it far outweigh, outweighs mm -hmm. the big party. Mm -hmm. You know, the yeah. it's, 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 it's and, it's not either or, it's and both. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's it's much. Your life is much deeper and richer. You know, we we do the 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 six of us. My wife too. Um, you know, we do marriage mentoring and marriage coaching, and we all we implore people, do the work, do the work on yourself, do the work on your marriage. I can't tell you, if I didn't. I've been married almost 39 years now. I would be dead. And when I say dead, I'm not talking, I'm talking about dead, dead, like six feet under, dead. If I didn't have that marriage. Because when I got married, I was messed up. I was beyond messed up. And I brought my mess into the marriage. But what I realized the plan of God since the foundation of the world was, Joe, you need to be married to this woman because there are things in you that aren't going to get dealt with unless you deal with them with this woman. And I was just naive enough. I don't know. Because I think back on it, I think God. I mean... I didn't know that. I didn't know that you were going to do all this in me and in her and in us. I didn't know all that back then. But for some reason, and this is the mystery of God, for some reason, I might have seen like a glimmer way far off, and I'm just like, okay, I'm, well, I'm just going to hang with it. And God gave God enough time to do what he needs to do. God is trying to do amazing things in marriages, but we just don't hang in there long enough. We pull the ir irreconcilable differences card. And then we go find somebody else and we mess that up. We go find somebody else and we don't realize we didn't stay in it long enough for God to do what he was trying to do through that person in us. Yeah, basically. And the legacies that are being changed are like the legacies of the kids. Because when the kids are growing up in that in that home where they're seeing conflict resolved, where they're seeing where they're seeing displays of love and affection and true love and and the the patience, the kindness, all that, those are the kids that are gonna thrive. So as much as we're doing this marriage for ourselves, we're also doing it for our kids. Because we want to see those generations down the line. I mean, God's word says that the sins of the father will visit upon the third and fourth generations. But, and it's in the same passage, but for those who love God, he's going to bless them for a thousand generations. We have a choice. And even higher than that, 
we do it for God. We do it for God. Because see, when I married Leona, I made a commitment to Leona, but I made a covenant with God. And so every time that Leona may drive me to my last nerve, I love you, dear. <laughs> Which is much rarer now than it was because when we first got married, that was like about every three hours. Now it's about once every three years, so we're doing good. I remember that this isn't about Leona. This is about a covenant that I made with my God that said, I'm giving you this woman to love and honor and cherish. Will you honor that commitment? Because we say the words, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. Oh, when that comes, I'm leaving irreconcilable differences. But see, I don't have that choice when I've made a covenant with God. It's different. Because now it doesn't depend on Leona. It depends on, am I going to be faithful to the one that's Lord? And am I going to be faithful to be the husband that he's called me to be? Because that's what I got to answer for. I can't answer for Leona's being my wife. She's got to answer to the Lord for that on herself. And I tell you what, she's going to get big kudos because she's an awesome wife. She's going to get big kudos. So I'm not even worried about that. I'm worried about myself, actually, right now. <laughs> you know, hey, I got you know, to take care of myself, right? So anyway, uh, let's wrap this up. So um, number five, he is worthy to be the object of our passion. He's a God who created us. He's a God who's crazy in love with us to the point of shedding his own blood and even crazy enough in love that he sings over us. Do you realize that God loves you enough that he sings over you? People are going, really? Yes. And here it is. Zephaniah 3.17 the Lord, your God, is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Can you hear the passion? Can you hear the love that he has for you? He rejoices over you with singing. So in conclusion, if all this isn't enough to make you passionate about him and co-laboring with him, then there's not much left to say. So I'm going to close and pray. Um, we will be, Gene has put this up here. We will not be meeting. Um, next weekend so happy thanksgiving uh, and we pray that it will be a joyous one with family and then uh in a couple of weeks after that leon and i are going to come back and we're actually going to do a short um christmas season series just in between uh thanksgiving and uh christmas 
And it's called Eternity in a Manger. Eternity in a Manger. Okay. Guess the Lord's saying you're done. All right. Thanks. Last call. Last call. Yeah. <laughs> Turned out the lights. All right. Got it. So, Lord Father, we just thank you. We bless your name. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for a God that sings over us. We thank you for a God that's passionate about us, a God that's passionately crazy about us. Father, we just pray that in the name of Jesus, that, Lord, that you plant this word deep in our hearts. Father, help us to remember all the things that you did for us, all the things that you did and help us to remember when we were, when you were our first love, when we were excited over you. And Lord, help to change our perspective. Help to show us, Lord, um, your love, your light, your grace and mercy. And Lord, open our eyes to those around us, whether they may be as close as our spouse or our children or family members, or even as far away as a, a, a friend in, uh, around the other side of the world or a neighbor across the street, open our eyes, Lord, to be the people that live with intentionality and purpose, knowing that you want us to plant the same seeds of truth, the same seeds of goodness, of mercy, of compassion, of grace, of empathy, that you want us to plant those seeds. Because, Lord, in planting those seeds, we carry the kingdom and we carry the spirit of the living God with us. And we pray as we do that, God, that it opens opportunities for others to, uh, to experience the love and the grace and the mercy that we have experienced. Lord, wait, may we give these because freely it has been given to us. So may we freely give it to others. We thank you for these, these series. We thank you, Lord, for all those that have listened. We thank you and we pray, Lord, that it has blessed them like it has blessed us. We love you and we lift you up. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to clarify this. The 22nd is when the church is going to have multiple Christmas.